So hopefully you did not show favoritism today when you walked in, you hugged everybody, you kissed everyone, you said you're all right, no matter your circumstance. Well, James keeps us moving along. Turns to James chapter 2, and we're just going to start in verse 14 and read all the way through the end uh, under the topic of faith and works. And James says this, he says, if you really want the, the message or the whole point of this text, James 14 is his thesis, it's his main point. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And this is a rhetorical question. He means the answer is obviously no. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds that I do. So show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe, there's this profession that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that we would not be a people of just a deep profession and emotional uh, belief in you, God. But let it, let it flesh out in our day-to-day lives, in our actions and how we operate, God. Let there be some uh, reality to our faith in our actions, God. And let, let a dying world see that reality in us. I pray, God, that you would move me out of the way and allow your spirit to speak to your people fresh today. Impress upon us that faith without works is dead. We bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Let the church say amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. I'm so glad you're here, all of our new uh, visitors today. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? I want to remind you that that is just a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. It's like when Paul is going through the list of gifts in uh, second Corinthians, he's like, do all have the gift of this? Do all have the gift of prophecy? Do all have the gift? It's a rhetorical question. The idea is no, but I want you to know something as a primer that faith for all of us is a common denominator. Do you realize that every single day you and I express faith in something? Every single day you express faith. You cannot live a single day without expressing some type of faith in something. When you awoke and you went into the bathroom this morning, you flipped a light switch. 
because you believe that light would come on. You don't know how electricity works. Thomas Edison, you forgot those classes in school, but you just assumed when you flicked that switch, unless you didn't pay the bill, you figured it would work. And then you grabbed that toothpaste and you didn't put it on your toothbrush thinking, oh, as soon as I brush, there is some sort of cyanide in this toothpaste. You just start brushing your teeth because you saw Crest on the, on the bottle, and, and all of a sudden you exercised a little bit of faith. And then when you got into your car and you turned the key, you had faith that it would start, unless it's an older model. Sometimes you started praying before, and then the faith was activated, and boom, the car started. But there was a little bit of faith. And as you drove here, you just you did not think to yourself that the car underneath is so rusted, I might fall underneath and collapse to my death. You drove here in confidence with your music up because you had faith in the makers of that car, although you never met them. You know, when you walked into this building, you're expressing faith that all of a sudden this structure, whoever made it, the architect behind it had some skill set that you didn't have, that this building wouldn't collapse and the seat you sat in would stay strong. So your action, you sat down and see in each instance of faith, there is always a corresponding action. It might not feel like an action. You just do it all the time. And James says, if a person has faith without any corresponding action, you are in a very, very tough spot. Look at someone and say, it's no good. If you're taking notes for James, faith is your orthodox belief conventionally expressed. What you believe, your Christian faith, what we've been reading, when is it, it is expressed in your life, James calls that faith. In other words, you can say, Jesus is my Savior. He is so awesome. And you could say it over and over, withholding nothing, you know, hallelujah. You guys are the most excited. It's just worship. You can say it over and over but your lifestyle can be no different from anyone else. And James says, you might have a very serious problem on your hands. I didn't mean, you know what? We already saw that video clip. People got a little bit beat up on that one. And here you come, pastor, following us up. You know, 40% of the people in the United States are evangelical Christians. And when they were asked, they did a survey and they ask, can you think of something you have done recently where your Christian faith made a difference? Only 8% could think of something. I want to ask that question today. Can you think of something that you've done in the past week where your Christian faith made a difference? Just eight of you guys. That's fine. No, there was more. There was more. How do we know if people who profess Christ have a real genuine faith is a faith that is invisible still faith are you still okay if it's invisible if there is no evidence is it still real is it is it real if there is not any side of it in your life and verse 14 is the main point what good is it brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds can that faith say save him now I want to pound this home for you. So I want you to open your Bibles back to James chapter 2 if you've closed it. And I want you to get the gist and the whole thrust of what James is saying. Because he says it four times. Look at someone and say, he says it four times. 
Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And then you go to verse 20. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And then in 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If you don't get what James is after, you have not woken up yet this morning. Your faith without accompanying action is worthless. It is dead. It is, it is nothing. It's pointless to talk about it if there's no corresponding actions. And he gives us four illustrations. The first two are negative. The second two are positive. Uh, 14 through 20 are really the first uh, two. What, what, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? See, the wording, once again, in the Greek is no. These are rhetorical questions. Is it any good? It's no good. It, it, th- now, he might be being a little bit sarcastic here, but this is what I think James would call emotional faith. Write that down. Say emotional faith. Because mere emotions is not genuine faith. All because you feel it in the moment doesn't mean you got the real thing. Can I illustrate it a little bit further? So you meet a person, and he's a, he's a truck driver. He travels from state to state. That's his job set up. And, and he's married. He's a married person. And you share with him the gospel message. And he responds. He says, uh, you know, thank you for sharing this with me. This is life transforming. This is, this is everything is different now. And he prays the prayer, I, I trust that Jesus died for my sins. I want this faith that you speak of. And then he says this, the issue is that I drive from state to state. And I have girlfriends in those other states, and I don't want to give them up. You know, this reminds me of back in the college days. You know, we had a church with all college students, and they would come out to the church knowing they were going to the party on Friday. They would repent. Come on, you all, it was that long ago. Don't act like it was that long ago. They would be in church, Lord, you're everything, and they got a flyer to the cue party for Friday. You already know, you see what I'm saying? You already have it set up that your behavior is going to be different from your profession. Without a profession, an emotional faith, without the resulting action. But here's where it gets a little touchy for us as believers, isn't it? It's a little bit touchy because, you know, okay, is this just a believer whose faith is temporarily inconsistent? Is he still saved, though? Or, or Pastor, are you saying that a person who is involving himself in sin is just not saved at all, I thought once we made this confession, is this a Christian who's just struggling to make his life consistent with his faith? Or is his faith completely a fraud? See, do, this is part of our thinking. That's why back in the day, you used to come down to the altar and get saved again every week, right? I don't know if it's stuck this week because I've messed up. 
this week, but James is saying something that's somewhat simple, but he's saying if it's just this verbal expression and there isn't some corresponding behavior, it's, it's not genuine. Well, pastor, I sin often. Is my faith a fraud? When I get, it got real quiet. <laughs> it got so quiet. When I get to heaven, will he say, depart from me, I never knew you because of that party I went through last Friday. Let's just do a salvation call right now. I promise I'm not going to go. I promise, God, I give you all of me. I give you all of me. I just don't want that. See, James isn't working in the context of sinful behavior. So you can breathe. Look at someone say breathe. Because throughout Scripture, many believers continue to sin in many different ways. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Just read it tonight. You'll be like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. If you need to make comparisons, read 1 Corinthians. You will start feeling very good about your walk with Christ. Or, or have you ever read uh, 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 John 1, 1 John? Have you ever read that? All, all, anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar. This is written to believers. Okay, so we're not just talking about uh, uh, sin, but the immediate context of James is helping this person in need with our actions. You see the need, you know Christ is compelling you to work through that need, and you do nothing. There is no correspondence from what you believe and what you do. And I think that's a good example, but the way, I, the way I like to think about it, and I think this is a better example for believers, when you're asking yourself, is my faith genuine? I think it's the difference between, the difference between a lamb and a pig. Okay, you can write this down. It's the difference between a lamb and a pig. See, because when a pig falls into the mud, it just starts rolling around. This is where I, this is where I belong. When a pig gets in the mud, it's like, ooh, I'll even eat in the mud. I like being in the mud. There's something about this mud that may, you ever, we saw some animals this past week. It's some pig. You ever seen a cow? They're all nice, usually. Horses, beautiful, nice. But when you see a pig, they're just dirty. And I'm walking by with my kids. I said, mmm, that bacon is so good, though. But see, if you ever see a lamb that falls into the mud, it begins to cry out for help. See, that's the nature of, you want to know if, is my faith genuine? Are you a pig or are you a lamb? When you fall into sin, do you say, this is me, this is what I do, this is how I live, this is what I love? Or when you fall into that sin, do you say, God... My heart wants more of you, but this sin, Lord, help me. So I think that's a better way to think about it. You know, one day a young disciple of Christ wanted to fully receive all God had for him. And so he visited the home of an elderly Christian. And he heard that this older man had never lost his first love for Christ over all the years. And the elderly man was sitting on the porch uh, with his dog, watching a beautiful sunset. And the young man said, why is it, sir, that most Christians zealously chase after God during the first year or two after they're saved, but then they fall into this complacent ritual of church once or twice a week, and they end up not looking any different than their neighbors who aren't even Christians? I've heard that you're not like that. And the old man smiled, and he said, let me tell you a story. 
said, one day I was sitting here quietly in the sun with my dog, and a large white rabbit ran across in front of us. And my dog immediately jumped up and began chasing that big rabbit, and he chased it over the hills, and he was running with great passion. And soon all these other dogs saw the commotion, and they began running with my dog. They were attracted by the barking. They start running with the dog. It it was a beautiful sight, this pack of dogs running and barking across the creeks and the embankments and the thickets and the thorns. They're running, and, and gradually, one by one, those other dogs dropped out of the pursuit discouraged by the course and frustrated by the chase. And only my dog continued to pursue the white rabbit. And in that story lies the answer to your question. And the young man sat there confused and in silence. said, sir, I don't understand. What's the connection between the rabbit chase and the quest for God? He said, you don't understand because you didn't ask the obvious question. Why didn't the other dogs continue on the chase? And the answer is that they had not seen the rabbit. See, because if you never see the prize, the race will be far too difficult. This feels good. It's emotional. And Emmy sang today, Woo! glory to God. But you might just be attracted to the barking. But once you fix your eyes on the prize, you will realize that the struggle means nothing, that it's light and momentary. And all those things you're worried about are just fleeting and passing in terms of the eternal weight of glory that is coming. And when we see him, we will be like him and we will know him even as we are. Somebody needs to fix. I'm just talking to myself. Where's Joanna today? If you're taking notes, James keeps us in this vein of thought. He says, mere, write this down, mere creedal faith is not saving faith. Verse 18 through 20, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Maybe you have a gifting to do Maybe you have a gifting for faith, or maybe you have a gifting to do certain deeds. You ever met people that are just good at working out things and doing their deeds and doing stuff? You know, the world will support you as long as you have good deeds. You take out Jesus, you can find any. I can go to Costco and Target, and hey, here's a word, just giving out backpacks to kids. They'll be like, wow, that is, a, that is amazing. You have such great deeds. But the second I say, but I do believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, like, well, I don't know if we can support. See, you can have good deeds, but you can also be a person with great rhetoric and great faith without deeds. In other words, what James is really saying here is that we like to separate them. You have faith, I have deeds. I can do work without faith. I can help the poor without faith. He, there's a, we want to convince people that these things are separate, that I can have faith in God by itself, and deeds can be an action done apart from my faith. But James' point is this, that the two concepts, faith and works, are actually inseparable. He says, show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. Here's the creed. You ready? Here's the creed. You believe that there is one God. That's a great creed. I believe that there is one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, that is the creed. We all believe that. And he goes, but even the demons believe that. And they shudder 
at that reality. He says, if you just profess and you don't have any action, you have the faith of demons. That's what he says. Okay, all right, I got to, demons have good theology. Demons do. They have, they have great theology. They know the scripture, right? Thank you. They know, they're not atheists. <laughs> there are no atheist demons. I'm just not sitting here believing in this God of yours. Now, there's a reality to God, to demons. They're also not polytheists. They're not believing in multiplicity of gods and everything goes. They, any demon you ever get to meet will be a monotheist who believes in God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They know Jesus by name. They don't have bad theology. They also believe in the last judgment. And when they think about it, the one God, James says, they shudder. You ever thought about something and just there's a, there's a, a quaking in your body? This is what happens to demons when they think about the God that we serve. You know, turn to Mark chapter 1. You guys are looking at me with all these questions. Like, how is pastor knowing about what demons are thinking about? In Mark chapter 1, and this, I got a couple examples, but I'm just going to go to this one. In Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. In Mark 1, verse 21, he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says to him, Be quiet. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. I know you are Jesus, the son of God. Man, be, I like how Jesus talks to everybody, but his conversation with demons is so gangster. (laughs) Who are the holy ones? Man, be quiet and come on out of him because there is a realm that Jesus governs. See, the the demons, they know who he is and, and they believe in him. They have a right view and profession of Jesus. They have right belief, but their behavior is bent on being against God. They have the articles of the creed, but they, you, can have, you can have everything right about God and still have demonic faith. How, pastor, if your faith doesn't show itself in your action? Albert Barnes says, if demons have that faith and they remain in perdition, men might hold it and go there. Okay, all right, those were a little bit negative. Those were to get you down. Let's move into some positive examples that James gives us. He gives us two, Abraham and Rahab. How many people have ever heard of Abraham before? And what about Rahab who saved the spies? You guys have heard of her in Joshua chapter 2. Abraham, the concern is the visibility of faith. Now, I want you to notice how dominant the concern of faith is when he starts talking about Abraham. And just track with me for a moment, verse 21, and I I promise you this is all going to tie together. Verse 21 in James chapter 2, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Faith, faith, faith. You all remember Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham offered his son Isaac up on the altar? Just by a show of hands, how many people remember that? If you don't remember that or have a reference for it, read Genesis chapter 22 when you go home. But the story is God says, I want you to take your son. You remember the son of the promise? When you were in your old age, unable to have kids with your wife, I gave you that son whom you love, the son you love, whom you love very much, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him up on the altar. Okay. And he gets up and he saddles his donkey and he obeys. And the text in Genesis 22 never tells us how Abraham felt. How would you feel if you had to go and take your son, your only son, in whom all of the promises of God are in, and you're going to offer him up on the altar? I don't know what Abraham walks when he walking up that hill, I don't know what his look on his face was, but I wonder the look on our face if God asked us to do something that outlandish. And when he gets up there, his grown son says, dad, where is the lamb? Well, Abraham says, God will see to it the lamb. That's what he said. God will see to it this Lamb, And he looks at his servants and he says, I and the lad are going to go on up, but we are also going to come back. And the writer of Hebrews gives us insight and he says, Abraham thought that he had a resurrection on his hands. He thought he was going to go up there, sacrifice his son, and God was going to bring him back and all this other stuff was going to happen and him and his son were going to come back. He had an idea how this was all going to play out, but he just started acting in faith in obedience. Now James tells us something crazy in verse 23. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. But what? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He relates this to Genesis 22. Do you guys know God didn't say that to him in Genesis 22? He said it back in Genesis 15 with his profession. He placed his trust in God and God credited it to him as righteousness. James, I see what you're saying, but you're talking again about Genesis chapter 15, not Genesis chapter 22. God already justified Abraham. He already justified him in Genesis chapter 15. Years and years and years before. But in in verse 22, in chapter 22, we see that his faith, which was already justified, was lived out by his, by his what? Somebody has to track with me here. His faith, he credited to his faith in Genesis 15. But he says, now that you've done this action, your faith is made whole. Your faith is lived out. The very thing that was invisible becomes visible by your actions, Abraham. 
something that is invisible. You all are here with so much faith. You've placed your trust in God and your hope in God. And the second you begin to act it out, all of a sudden we see that which is invisible manifesting itself. How many people have something that needs to be manifested? One more example, and I'm going to close on this thought because it's the second example that he gives us, and it's the prostitute Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2, let's just go there because it's worth it. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Rahab, this uh, Canaanite uh, prostitute, you think of God's amazing uh, grace. The writer goes out of his way to talk about this woman's faith in the lineage of Christ even. And the story in Joshua 2 is that two men come to her house. And that was not uncommon for a prostitute, for a couple guys to stop by. I'm just saying, people laugh. I mean, it's just uh, true. And she sends these Jericho cops on a wild goose chase. They're not here. They've left, and the gates are shut in Joshua 2.7. And how will they get out of the city? That's really the question. How are they going to get out of the city? And he doesn't answer that question, but he goes into a testimony of Rahab, and he gives a testimony of a prostitute. In verse 8 through 13, and I want you to listen to this with fresh ears as though I'm telling you the testimony of a woman who is a prostitute. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know, in, in uh, Joshua 2 verse 8, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. And when we heard it about your God, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Have you ever heard such a profession of faith? He's the God of heaven above and earth below. Now then, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. Here's a person in verse 10 who has heard about the Lord. She moves to a conviction in verse 11 about who God is, and she makes an oath that if she goes out of her way for them, God is surely going to win this battle. I believe in your God so much that I will place my life on the line so you all can get away. Hearing, faith, confession, Belief, action. She, she moved to a conviction. Once you, move, once you come and you move to a conviction about who he is, we then move to action and committing our own selves to who he is. You all with me on that? That is the action part. Once you understand who he is, it causes a change. That's real faith. And the writer tells us about the spies. She lives in the city wall. She lets them down by the rope. They're gone. Her faith in God manifested itself in deeds, welcoming the spies and sending them away. Let me say it again. What was invisible became. Can I get everyone here? What was invisible became. See, that's faith. Plain and simple. What is God telling you to do? 
What is it that's hiding that needs to come out on the outside? One last story. I'm sure many of you uh, have heard of this story, or maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but it was the great tightrope walker, Blondin. How many people? One of the greatest tightrope walkers of all time. And there are many legends told of the feats that he performed, but one of the most often told stories of Blondin is this, when he crossed over the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he's done this several times. At some point, all the audience was gathered around, and they were like, whoa, this is amazing. You're going over the Niagara Falls. This is crazy. Go, Blondin, go. And he turned to the large audience, and he says, how many believe I can walk across the tightrope over the falls pushing a wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it. Awesome. And people were cheering so loudly, they were sure that the great Blondin, who had done this numerous times before, could do it. And then he says, how many people believe I can push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope with a man sitting inside of it? Yeah! You can do it! And the response is overwhelming. This will be crazy. It'll be amazing. Some people already know where I'm going with this story. So Blondin, one guy was jumping up and down, enthusiastic, more than he had ever been. And Blondin looks at him and he says, okay, I want you, sir, to get into the wheelbarrow. That guy made the quickest exit of his life. See, it's a simple story, but it shows us that there is oftentimes a great difference between belief and the faith and the emotion that we say we have and the action of that faith that we really have. See, if you would let your faith work itself into action, you would be far less worried in life. You will be far more comfortable with whatever situation God has you in. It will be easier to help others. See, faith, that simple believing in him, fixing our eyes on the prize and allowing that reality to shape our existence changes everything. Who's willing to get into the wheelbarrow with Jesus Christ? Stand with me, church. This is a very simple message, and I'm believing that today God has spoken to your heart. It's very simple, very simple. It's saying today, God, what would you have me do? Don't look down the road. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worry of its own, but it's, it's just today saying, God, what would you have me do? Can we commit to that type of faith? Lift your hands all over this place. Father, I pray for your people right now that we would not be a people just of declarations and creeds, God, but we would be a people of action. Help us, God, love as you loved us. Help us, God, walk out Christ-like faith, God. Help us follow you in whichever way, shape, or form it takes, God. And let our faith be worked out in deeds. Let it not be said of us that our faith is worthless. But God, let, let faith arise in us. Faith, God. 
working itself in actions. For what can it profit a man if he has faith and no action? It's worthless, God. But Father, I thank you for something different for the people of this house. Let us walk it out. For your glory and for your name's sake, God. Now bless your people and keep them and make your face shine upon them like never before. Give us peace as we leave this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say, amen. God bless you all. We have a brother here that's just an awesome worship leader. So let's stand together. Let's welcome Emmy. And let's just take a moment and let's pray for the rain. We've already been in his presence. Let's just take a moment and pray for the rain. Maybe you've been in a dry and a thirsty place. Just lift those arms and pray for the rain this morning. Lord, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. As, as Pastor Greg said, God, I got to have it, God. A little bit more of your rain. God, we bless you today. Just lift your hands all over the building and wave it to the Lord and tell him the way you feel about him this morning. He's such an awesome God. Can I say this? Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know what you're going through. I recognize your pain. I recognize your situation. But if you will dare not to pay attention to your pain and praise me, I will draw you to myself. And God cannot bring you to himself and leave you. Can God bring, it's only a wicked father. Jesus said that uh, if the earthly man know how to do good, I'm much more the heavenly father who is able to give the Holy Ghost to those who ask from him. So this morning, is there anybody here that want to lift up Jesus? Just lift your hands high above your heads and just love him and just express your love for him. He's worthy. Hallelujah.
withholding nothing. I surrender all to you. Is there anybody who wants to give him everything? Lift your hands. Everything I give to you. With all the nothing. With all the nothing. With all the nothing. I give you all of me. 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 Lift your hand and give him. I give you all of me. Everything I give you all of me. Come on, surrender to him. I give you all of me. Everything I give you all of me. Give him everything. I give you all of me. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Give him everything. Give you all of me. Give you, give you everything. Please give God some praise if you're able to. 
We refuse to let a rock cry out in our space and in our place, God. We give you praise today and honor and glory. You're the only one worthy of all of our praise. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, worship team. Was that not an awesome time of worship? And Emmy, we just, God bless you, man of God.